Hello, beautiful LassoCast listener. It's been far too long. I am but one of your co-hosts, Kenny Madison, with some excellent news about Season 3. It's been a long time coming, and that news is that we still don't have a release date yet, or a trailer, or any of that. Instead, I am coming with glad tidings. I don't know if anyone that listens to this podcast might know this, but I like Star Trek. I know, it's a big surprise. And another big surprise for folks that might listen to LassoCast is that I have another brand new podcast that covers just this topic, specifically the crossroads of where Star Trek and Star Wars intersect on my new podcast, Trek Wars. We have been going for, oh, a month and change right now, and so we are using the copious resources available at LassoCast and cross-posting an episode from Trek Wars right into this feed. I know, I'm surprised too. So please take a listen. If you like Trek Wars, please go over to our website, trekwarspod.com. Follow us there, subscribe, do all of the regular call-to-action stuff that Johnny says at the end of this stuff. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed this sneak peek into one of my favorite Trek Wars episodes, where we are comparing The Empire Strikes Back versus Where No Man Has Gone Before. One of those is a movie. One of those is a TV show. And yeah, we're going to keep going on that one until we finish both properties. So please enjoy. Enjoy yourselves. Thank you. Aspen, I've got something to pitch to you. Oh, a pitch? Like a movie pitch? Yeah, well, not exactly, but I, I was hoping that we could start the episode off like this. Is uh, it a new hope? It, it's not... Uh, it's not a new hope. Uh, but I did... I prepared a written statement for this week's episode, and I know that you have a lot of power, and I really... I pray... I pray... Mm-hmm. That you can keep this at the front of the episode. Please, please, Aspen, please, yeah. for the love as, of God. As, as primary editor, I appreciate your recognition of my deep power. My vast, vast power. It's And oh boy, it's vast. Uh, vast. It's, it, it's Gary Mitchell-like. <clears throat> here's, here's my written statement. <clears throat> Aspen, <clears throat> this week... I watched an early entry from a long-running science fiction franchise where our main protagonist looked at the morality of using a telekinetic force, using that as a metaphor for general ambition and power for the human condition. At the same time, the protagonist had to deal with a strong villain that also tied in personally with their past, which also resulted in discovering that the villain was far more instrumental in their past at a critical point in their life, upsetting them drastically and changing the way they looked at that character forever. Sadly, the protagonist also had to deal with their best friend being destroyed using a rock-like substance, but they looked on in hope at the galaxy in front of them, at least in the special edition, hoping for redemption as they stood next to someone who would become a critical character in a reboot of the long-running franchise by J.J. Abrams. But enough about where no man has gone before. Boom goes the dynamite! That was extraordinary. (laughs) (laughs) I would never cut that, 
ever. <laughs> uh, Aspen, let's start our podcast. Okay, we'll start the podcast. Wait, do you? Wanna, I'll start the podcast. I got it. I got it. I got it. Yeah. <gasps> Welcome to the Trek Wars podcast, the only podcast that is dedicated to answering one question, the most important question in fandom. Which is better, Star Trek or Star Wars? Or are they just of a kind? And this is just a wild effort in futility. Uh, I am Aspen Webster, here with the incredible uh, Kenny Madison. Say, say hi, Kenny Madison. Uh, I radically disagree with uh, you just saying everything should just coexist with things. I think it should be binary. It's either good or bad. One must be better than the other. And also, I am the Star Trek person on this podcast. Oh, yeah. I am the Star Wars person on this podcast. Someone who clearly sticks to a binary every day. <gasps> Ooh, uh, if there's one thing that I know about you, it's that you live your life clearly on a binary. Yeah, uh, definitely living in black and white world. I would say always. Uh, never, ever delving into the gray area. Uh, speaking of delving into the gray areas, uh, I think we picked an oddly serendipitous week of uh, Star Trek and Star Wars to be delving into the grays. You know, what the heck is going on? It's so funny to me because I keep telling people about this podcast and they're like, that's strange. How can you do a comparison of, say, a Star Wars film to an episode of Star Trek? And I've said, I don't know. We'll see. And then I watched this one and it was tremendously uh, thematically uh, similar. <laughs> it was uncanny. I was, I'm, I'm really impressed by the kind of connections you found. I found some other thematic pieces that I just could, I was just fixated on, but I am very into how you, the way that you framed it. <laughs> I really uh, am. Do, do, do go on Aspen. And for folks that might not, folks that might not read the description of what the episode is about this week we are comparing where no man has gone before the third aired episode of star trek the original series first aired september 22nd 1966 against the empire strikes back a uh, kind of popular movie that came out may 21st 1980 both the official third entries at least in terms of chronological release date in their respective franchises. Although, uh, as you might already know, Aspen, Where No Man Has Gone Before was the second film pilot for Star Trek, the original series. I didn't know it before I watched it, but as I was watching it, I thought, hmm, look at these cute little sweaters. Fascinating. Just these little sweaters. And then I said, wait, why does everything look strange? Wait, what's up with Spock? Why is he being just a little off? And I was like, Scotty's here, but Scotty wasn't in the first two. Obviously, I know Scotty will be in the, the remainder. And there's uh, and there's no Bones, my absolute favorite boy. <laughs> my, favorite, yes. my favorite heart boy, uh, yes. Bones. So then I did what a, a good researcher does, and I wikied it. <laughs> so finding out that oh, uh, Lucille Ball 
of course, was the one who, when the first uh, when the first pilot didn't take, she was the one who said, "No, let's really try this again. I really want to." St-. She pushed the filming of it to try to get it out there, and so she was, you know, as people know, Lucille Ball, pretty instrumental in getting Star Trek original series out there. But she's the one who really pushed this, and I love Lucy. So a real a real Lucy. ride for me. I love Lucy. That's yeah. That's got to yeah. be something. But we. I can look that up later. Um, Aspen, look at you being the little research person for Star Trek. I try uh, not to be an asshole this week. <laughs> what? There's got to be more uh, than just feelings. There's got to be some research. <laughs> well, I mean, it's very Star trek to have you embody the feelings approach and looking at things from a, I, I don't know, more an interpersonal dynamic. And then I'm just like, right, but what about the cold hard facts, the logic of the situation? It's very Star Trek. Oh, we're missing a, a third component here. We're missing whoever is directing us. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, and these early episodes of the original series is much more a binary, which is Kirk is much more feelings and Spock is much more cold. And then it's really like after the first 13 episodes of Star Trek where they hit on the triumvirate. I mean, like you said, we don't even have our Dr. McCoy in here yet. Instead, we have the very memorable Dr. Piper. (gasps) Dr. Piper. Yes. Oh, is that her first name? I kept thinking it was Daner. Denner? I read her name, oh. but I can't remember how she said it. Uh, n- no, Dr. Piper is not our uh, b- blonde uh, <gasps> doctor. That's Got Dr. it. Daner. Got um, it. Our, our guest star played by <gasps> Sally Kellerman. Sally Kellerman. This Here's some more research I did. I hope you're proud of me. Ad, yeah. I mean, uh, Aspen, first off. You never need to ask for validation because you've got it unconditionally. Thank you so much. I'm gonna I'm gonna write that in my journal. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dear diary, it finally happened. I was given both external affirmation and told through that external affirmation I didn't need it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sally Kellerman, who was in Mash. And Gary Lockwood, who was in 2001 A Space Odyssey and got, you know, just launched out into space and got to die because of hell. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, Kubrick definitely watched this and I went and, and went, ooh, there's something. That's a guy I want to kill again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's good at dying in space. Ooh, uh, yeah. But before we get on too long for folks that might not be watching along with us we should probably do a quick synopsis of both empire strikes back and where no man has gone before right yeah just that's good just to give a baseline yeah here uh you go with where no man has gone before okay where no man has gone before let me just pull up the imdb that'll be easier oh fabulous this is far too small uh the initial blurb at the top of the IMDb page is the flight recorder of the 200-year-old USS Valiant relays a tale of terror, a magnetic storm at the edge of the galaxy. That's it. That's uh, it? <laughs> and then for the blow, 
When the Enterprise attempts to penetrate a space barrier, it is damaged and creates a potentially worse problem. Two crew members, including Kirk's best friend, gain psionic powers that are growing exponentially. This leaves Captain Kirk with the difficult choice, either marooning them or killing before they get so powerful they lose their humanity and become truly dangerous. Ooh, that one's a good one. I like that one. Pretty good. And the writer is Samuel A. Peoples. And the director is James Coldstone. Ah. Where no man has gone before. Where no man has gone before. This makes me want to read the IMDb plot for Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> Get a variation Please? in size. Uh, there are many. Oh, there's this. <laughs> there's this a massive synopsis. Someone wrote a full synopsis on the IMDb under the spoilers tag. Um, let's just pick the first one. After the rebels are brutally overpowered by the Empire on the ice planet Hoth, Luke Skywalker begins Jedi training with Yoda, while his friends are pursued across the galaxy by Darth Vader and bounty hunter Boba Fett. Boba Fett, a very small part of this film, and yet primarily featured in the summary. <laughs> um, wow. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna stand on this this hill. Uh, yeah. I think Boba Fett is a nothing character and I think Boba Fett's a nothing character and there's nothing that is interesting about Boba Fett at this point in time. I I think I except hear except for his turn in the holiday special. I think I hear some screaming. Are those people with fire and pitchforks? Are oh you wow. Okay? There's a surprisingly large amount of uh men that are about my age in black t-shirts with logos on them. Dang. And they're just batting at the windows. It's amazing. Gosh. Well. I am well, jealous of the, their hairlines, though. Their hair is magnificent. Well, your beard is better. So Thank you. Oh, my god. It gosh. is beautiful. Oh, my god. Thank you. What is your, what's your, what's your uh, strategy? <laughs> your, beard, <laughs> your beard strategy. I think I was looking I for it. a different word. I wash it, and I add conditioner in it. And then I sculpt uh, it. Uh, sculpt it? Yeah, I was I like, do. can you hear my belly? I'm like so hungry. I made a, made a terrible mistake. <sighs> okay. Great. For everybody who's never seen The Empire Strikes Back, now they know. It's all about yeah. this featured guy, Boba Fett. I will say I agree with you. At this point in time, what is the obsession? Whatever. Um, he's got a T as a face. Who cares? He's got a little T. He's yeah. got, a, he's got a, a ship, Slave One, that looks like a soap dispenser. There's that. Um, you know, one of those big soap designs. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. As someone who has watched all of Clone Wars, which I will not get into because it, it breaks the, it breaks the, the reality here. But, oh, who um, cares? I do care a little bit about him because yeah. I do care. I care actually a lot about him because of Clone Wars, but I care about him as like young him, not as, yeah. as the idea of him. I care about him as the actual character of him, not the idea. Yeah. And I think most people are a little bit preoccupied with an idea. I mean, he's got a, I mean, that's the thing about Star Wars. I think folks gravitate to a strong design aesthetic because Star Wars is so instrumental in so many of our childhood hoods mm -hmm. it's the we we enjoy the idea of boba fett the action figure boba fett the yeah boba fett the toy um just to make broad generalizations about a wide swath of people who have a connection to a fictional character uh speaking of my I love think, of star trek 
Are they uh, breaking your window right now? Are you okay? <laughs> uh, they're breaking a window. I'm not sure if they're breaking my window. Oh, yes, they are breaking my window. Um, Yikes. But, oh, that's interesting. To buck the stereotype, they're actually just offering cupcakes and stuff, which is really nice. Oh, they're like, we're here to talk about alternative perspectives. <laughs> they, Yeah, they're extraordinarily nice. I, they're presenting me with a $25 voucher to the charity of my choosing. That's really, that's odd that they needed to break my window in order to do that. But, you know, a nice effort is a nice effort. And I think it should just go rewarded. <laughs> um, yeah, I, so you presented, <laughs> sorry. I'm like, okay, off that bit. (laughs) Okay, you presented such a great structure of similarities and overlap. Um, Do you mind if I start with a piece that I was really fixated on? One of my, one of my, uh, one of my striking pieces to me. Absolutely, please. I think you've you've thought this through. So what I was thinking about was. the difference in the kind of uh, I'm not going to call the dynamic in where no man has gone before romantic, but uh, so Gary and the doctor, doctor, am I saying Doctor Daner? Doctor Daner. Yeah. So Gary and the doctor Dan- and Doctor Daner. Um, Gary and the are- doctor, which is also my 1960s themed jam band. <laughs> Gary and the doctor. So yeah. when they they are both, they get these ESP powers, and he is coming onto her strongly in a way that feels like kind of sexually romantically as much as you can in a way that feels very bad uh he at this point in the episode and as you as imdb put it you know he starts to get these powers he starts to get stronger he starts to become a danger he's in sick bay and she comes in because she as a psychiatrist, you know, believes in him and believes that we can't just toss him aside despite the, you know, the fear we have, you know, there's still good in him. He's still a person. And as she's with him, he, yeah, he starts, he kind of grabs her and you can see her look so uncomfortable. And so I was, so I felt viscerally unwell as I typically do in those types of situations. And I was thinking about, how in Star Wars, uh, my favorite little OTP of Han and Leia, uh, who yes. I so deeply that, you know, I've <laughs> we were watching it. I was watching it with my husband. And um, you know, I was, you know, I was thinking like, I love, I love Han and the princess, the the theme, uh, John Williams' theme. It's so yes. beautiful. I love everything about this. Oh, this dynamic. And, and he was just like pointed at our wall. And I've forgotten that I actually do have like a, a silhouette of Han and Leia on the wall, like one on the left side that's Han, uh, that's Leia saying, I love you. And the other side is Han saying, I know. <laughs> and uh, so... I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I I have loved this for forever. And I'm like, well, I love this dynamic, which has a similar feel of someone kind of predatorily coming on to someone else. But the difference for me Mm -hmm. is in the writing of Leia and in the power and the agency she has. Because she does have power. She has authority over him. She is actually a rebel leader commander. So she, one, has that kind of authority and also knows what she wants. And you're very, you know what she knows. Like, you know her feelings. She makes it very clear. I, 
I just think it, there must be, there is something in that agency that is one of the reasons why I just love Leah. I think she's actually really well written. I, I, well, I, I truly see, I see myself in her. I'm sure a lot of people do. Um, just this capability, but also this passion and this fire. I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts? Yes. And I think you've established a, it, it is very much in the writing. Uh, first off, I want to, I want to look at this, of course, without the context of the rest of the franchise mm-hmm. around it and just looking at this relationship as a piece of writing, is it effective? Uh, and, I mean, that's so hard for me because I don't remember a time where I just hadn't seen Star Wars. So I'm just like, yes, of course, this works. Why not? Uh, We all watched it as the very first piece of media, of course. Of course, it just works. Uh, And I think it very much does. This is unobjective, but also I I don't care. Who cares? Um, I, I, I think it works because you can very much see the performance. You can see Carrie Fisher as Leia wrestling with it less being, I want to get <laughs> negged to death to where I'm putting up with this and more. She, she's got the hots for someone that looks like Harrison Ford and wants to have <laughs> time, but it's a bad idea because I don't want to get attached and I think the critical difference is that Han Solo is like, well, at the, at, I mean, their first scene together in Empire is them, him gone, well, so long, princess. He's like, can I, can I have a goodbye kiss? Cause I'm going to miss you. And then Leia's kind of giving him the cold shoulder. And then he's like, well, don't get mushing on me. So long, princess. And his feelings get hurt because he wants something more. That's, that's and so he's just like look i know the way that you feel about me i want this too let me push through it because i can tell what you want i think that's a critical distinction and i i believe that there is a little bit of as i i want someone i empathize with leia i want someone to come along and be like i know what you want I'm going to push through your very strong emotional walls and give you what you want because I know that this is what you want. And maybe that that is it too. There, there's one, there's the element that so much has happened between movies. So we already have just a basis of uh, background there. We know about these people and we can assume based on what's happening on screen and the dialogue and how they're looking at each other that you know they've had months of interactions of these types so there's that and then to your your point it's because they're deeply human and their their respective faults and uh their wants and their desires the fact that he's just a little goofball like he doesn't he does not feel dangerous he can be nice like he's a nice man like he that he's hurt that he's he's scared scoundrel He's a scruffy-looking nerf herder. <laughs> I love it so much. I deep. I love. I love everybody's great and funny too. I, yeah, that he he is vulnerable, and he like her is trying to be invulnerable. And when you watch people drop those walls, 
that's when you're pulled in. That's when it feels really powerful. And she, yeah, she's a, she's a, she's the kind of person who, you know, I think today, especially when the horrible reaction to, I don't know, this idea that if you have a woman in a movie or a story, you know, that kind of, what is it called? Where she basically just has to be strong and gets no love interest as if love doesn't humanize us, pisses me off so much. Yeah. But you get to be lots of things. You get to be powerful. And then you also get to love and be in love and be swept away. Yes, because it's fun to be in love. And also the problem is it's the issue of token representation and you depict a woman and uh, the the tokenization of how to be progressive is at this point now going, well, you can't have them have a love interest and going that that's that's not what the discussion is about. The discussion is uh, the, the fact that more than likely it's dudes that are depicting this character and they're going about this representation by going she's a hashtag girl boss she's tough Mm -hmm. she's smart she's great with guns she's just like one of the boys and suddenly it just becomes a two-dimensional character in the wrong way just because you're not depicting them in a romantic relationship does not necessarily mean that they are a fully fleshed out character uh exactly leia is fully fleshed out i well and, and also uh talking about and let me mansplain this to you, Aspen. I want to. Oh my God. This is the moment. This is the moment. This uh, is me. Oh, by the way, the prison breaking in the window, it's me. I've been here the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> These are not cupcakes. <laughs> you push the you push the building uh, onto its side, and the, instead of a glass window, it's breaking. You're breaking a glass ceiling. Gross. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I accept that. I accept your judgment. Um, Just go on. The, the external looking upon the relationship in empire strikes back and we should we can uh, cross this back around to star trek at some point but the original okay never mind the the original script was written by lee brackett who was a female i'm not sure if that's a correct a female she's a female Uh, (laughs) say it like a ferengi one Right. A female. A female? Uh, she's a lady writer. She's a writer <laughs> that's also a lady. A girl writer. Uh, and then Lawrence Kasdan becomes the second credited screenwriter on Empire. And then we know for a fact that Carrie Fisher rewrote large swaths of the dialogue as a script doctor. So it, it, there is also a female perspective that is just radiating off of the script. So it, like, Carrie Fisher has the agency here and she is the one that is writing Leia this w- way, sort of. Uh, sure, Lucas is in the room, even though he is... Th- this is next to the holiday special. This is Lucas at his most hands-off. Um, Because the context of Empire Strikes Back is that making Star Wars was, I don't know if you know this, but making movies is hard. And George Lucas is not, does not really consider himself a writer. He's kind of a director by necessity. And I think everyone would be the first one to say George Lucas is not someone that is necessarily interested in people. (laughs) So he 
he writes the story uh, and then goes to, I believe, his old film professor, Irving Kirshner, is like, can you, oh, hey, can you direct this? And Irving Kirshner goes, absolutely. I can sure direct this. Yes. Oh. <laughs> well, Hello. Because frog people, uh, have you have you heard Irving Kirshner talk? No. <laughs> oh, it's fabulous. Uh, Matt Gorley does an uh, incredible Irving Kirshner impression, which is a very niche thing of a niche thing of a niche thing. Uh, yeah, if frog people gravitate towards other frog people. Uh, so George Lucas basically gave the reins to his old film professor who was more interested in making character-based dramas at this point. Which explains why this film feels the way that it does. Uh, and it is Lawrence very character based. I mean, Lord's Casting, you have to look the rest of his filmography, not just the Raiders of the Lost Ark, but also uh, Body Heat and The Big Chill, and is very much interested in uh, kind of snappy dialogue that also has a little bit of 30s, 40s screwball influence and so, suddenly this movie looks a lot more different than the original well, star wars so question okay so yeah. i did a little more research on this too can yes! i'm a Look researcher now uh maybe the reason i was so anti-research is because of my like traumatic thesis writing experiences yeah yeah. S- uh, school will definitely uh, make research not seem like fun. And as I am now getting firmly into my 30s, I'm like, but what if learning is fun? Nope. Uh, so I was on Wikipedia. <laughs> I was on Wikipedia. And there is a piece where it says source question mark. So there is no source for this, but I'm going to read it. According to the actors, Kirshner would encourage group discussions and improvisations from the actors, would do many takes of each scene in contrast to Lucas, who would always stick to the script, usually do about three takes and offer little direction to the actors. Again, don't know if that's actually real. We don't know the source, but I can say if it is true, or at least that first piece, I mean, obviously, we, we know that the I love you, I know, is an improvisation, right? Uh, and Or at least that's what I've always heard. You know what the original line was for that scene, right? No. Because Leia goes, I love you. And then Han Solo turns around and he goes, ha! <laughs> Where the, original, the original line was like Fleabag. And it was just like, I love you. And he goes, it'll pass. And then Ugh. carbonite. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh. <laughs> oh. What if we just turn this into a Star Trek and Fleabag comparison podcast? I w- would not say no. Uh, if there's anything I love as much as Star Wars in this world, it's literally Fleabag. True. So, um, regardless of the lack of source for this, it does feel like I, uh, it's them leaning into what their characters are and feeling free in how they relate to each other, how they love each other. They feel like they love each other. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is very much a movie that is more interested in. I was thinking I, a hot take. I was thinking about this movie. Oh, I, I know. Hot? Shocker. So hot. Uh, the first 25 minutes of this movie is so devoid of major action set pieces i mean luke does get kidnapped by the wampa and Mm -hmm. there is a lightsaber but it's basically one fell swoop and then the action scene is 
done, basically. There's so little action of the first act of this movie. And I couldn't help but think about this in juxtaposition to... I mean, we can juxtapose this against Star Trek, but juxtapose it against the Lucasfilm entry that would come out in a year, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where the first 10 minutes is a giant set piece. And also everyone copies that formula in major blockbuster filmmaking from then on, where the first 10 minutes is just having the character doing some sort of disconnected action set piece as a reintroduction of how this character is cool, what their deal is, what they like to do, that they're cool and snappy. That Alfred Molina is there. Oh, gosh. Uh, Daddy. Adios. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And this movie, you don't get to your major action set piece until the raid on Hoth. Uh, 25 minutes in, it's just kind of characters existing, kind of waiting for the movie to start proper. It really takes its time to getting to the point. You know what else takes its time and sits with characters a bit star trek <laughs> uh i don't see your meaning <laughs> not always this episode i mean i think something happens they, they get that they get that beacon pretty quickly which yes i guess i must have seen this episode but years ago and i was just like "Ooh, is it gonna be a creepy episode where we're on <laughs> we find an abandoned ship and then there's i don't know zombies <laughs> That's what I always want, though, just so you know. Um, so maybe we could just watch Alien. Uh, just monsters. Um, it, I don't know. It just The structure of Star Trek, you can tell me if I'm wrong here. It just does seem to be that there is, and I, I mentioned this in the past, there's a lot of sitting with things. Oh, and yeah. I think the call to kind of philosophical thought it makes a lot of space for that to say like, you know, we're sitting here, we're having a conversation. I'm knowing more about you. There are lines in here that are about, you know, what Spock's personality is like, what I'm like, the things Kirk, what Kirk is struggling with uh, a lot of endowment of character and not a lot happens. You're just kind of being present with what those relationships and what their beliefs are. Uh, first off, Aspen, you're absolutely right. Uh, oh we Dana like I'm journaling. I'm journaling about this. <laughs> Second, I think that is a more apt description of Star Trek the way that it becomes from like 1987 to 2016, or well, rather 2009, because I think the pacing, um, uh, the 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 way that the this iteration of Star Trek, the original series, I think this is just more indicative of action filmmaking circa 1960s, which the pacing is just slower. And then that gets interpreted in later iterations as, ah, this show is more, uh, takes more of its time as opposed to, I think this is more just the pacing of the time. And it maintains that pacing kind of to its detriment for a large swath of Star Trek in the late 90s, early 2000s. But we're not there yet. We're talking about where no man has gone before. So, um, uh, at a certain point... Yes, yes. Aspen in the front. She's, Thank you. she's raising her hand. Yes. Um, I, you know, I think we, we, had, we had talked about how Star Wars A New Hope has more of the type of pacing that we're familiar with now in these big blockbusters. And so I do think it's very interesting that you're saying with Empire Strikes Back, it's not so familiar of a pacing. 
and it does have it doesn't have that big set piece uh it's still fast but there is more of the sitting um which does feel very deliberate in terms of its you know sitting in the moments sitting in the emotion sitting in the character development um i just thought that was interesting because i think we we had explicitly mentioned and talked about how the pacing of star wars is of new hope is so fast and modern yes uh there's some behind the scenes feature uh, for Star Wars that describes the pacing of Star Wars as dictated by the edit versus being dictated by performance. And I think Empire Strikes Back is probably more dictated by performance. And definitely the original series, the pacing is dictated by performance. Um, And filmmaking eventually just moves towards things that are more dictated by the edit makes things faster just because change of scenery is inherently interesting because you're watching an image change you automatically go this is interesting it like the the lizard part of your brain is just like it changed that means that it's good stimulus 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 you know as someone who is almost always taken I find it far more powerful to have strong connections between characters than anything else. Um, I, what am I trying to say? Great question. I'd love to answer that for you, but I can't. (laughs) There are times in Star Trek, and this is kind of, I would say this is sort of an oblique, this is tangential that you've kind of made me think about as a, as a thought. There are times when I think it is too heady for me and I want it to come back to what it is like to come back to those relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to think too far ahead, but you know, I found the parts of this episode of where no man has gone before to be the most interesting when it is about the way Kirk is affected by his best friend becoming this thing and this terror. And, and we've established a background on this and that they care about each other, even though we never have seen it, we know that they care about each other. In the way that they joke, what they, they're joking, uh, that they they have a shared history, or so having this thing happen to someone he cares about that that to me is much more powerful than you know if we were to just sit in an abstracted philosophical space for the entire episode. So yes, I. I, I would say, even though we had Gary in this, I missed Bones in this because I love what it is to have that trio and have those dynamics and have people loving each other. Like with Star Wars, I literally wrote, I was, I was watching it. I, was, I wrote in my notes, I love watching these people love each other and care so deeply. They would sacrifice themselves for each other or yep. that they would take risks that they would put themselves in danger. And... But I think that might just be inherent to the it's the performances, it's people caring about each other. It's inherent to sort of the action adventure versus the sci-fi philosophy of Star Trek. So, yes, nah. Uh, what I'm it's been you've watched Where No Man Has Gone Before, but it's been a hot minute. Is that yeah, a real correct? hot? It must because I've definitely seen it, but it might have been like ten sure. years ago. Uh, so. Your reaction to this episode is that it's a little bit cold and sterile? Um, I love TOS. It always feels a little cold and sterile to me. Sure. That's so interesting because, like I said earlier, this was the second pilot because the first pilot was too cold and cerebral. At least that's what the legend, according to Gene Roddenberry, is. Um, 
And so they, they got a second pilot order said, can you focus on the action instead? Let's give it a little bit more judge. And I'm definitely sure that's what the executives at NBC said. A little bit more judge. Well, uh, actually, is, that's not. So to me, when I say cold, I'm thinking about emotions and there are a lot of emotions in this. And I, I think Star Trek starts to deal a lot. And what does it mean to be a human? Like, that's its whole point. Um, I, you know, I, I just think it is by nature. It's, yeah. It, you know, just by nature, that's what it is. We're on a starship. We, we have a we have an actual military structure. We are following orders. You know, we have to make hard decisions where sometimes Kirk is like, I can't be emotional about this. And then the next scene is like, I'm so emotional about this. This is such a hard decision. And that that to me is really compelling. Yeah, um, it's Star Wars is very often just unabashedly emotional. It revels in the big emotions. It's space opera. Right. It is just big. It is emotional, uh, especially with where no man has gone before in juxtaposition to Empire Strikes Back because there's, they're, I mean, gosh darn. <laughs> gosh darn. Gosh darn. There's just so many big emotions. It's just, it's very interesting. Just give the context of what, where no man has gone before. And you're just like this, this puts me off. Uh, I, I feel a little distance from it, which I'm I I I'm less interested in trying to get you to go. But what if where no man has gone before and more just your reaction of no, this is still the the assignment has not yet been achieved of uh, getting towards of what Roddenberry was told, which is do something that's a little bit more involved, something that is less cerebral. Um, and they hadn't. Yeah, they hadn't gotten to that yet. I also I'm thinking about this. If this episode was indeed the first arid episode of Star Trek and the captain's best friend was taken and he has to kill his best friend and just going, just imagining that as if you were going, wow, if that could happen to the captain's best friend, what else could happen? And the, possibilities uh and of course those possibilities pretty much go to the wayside pretty darn quickly because it's episodic television in the 1960s so things have to be outrageously self-contained um but just the yeah. i don't know that's just such a bold way pun intended it's bo- boldly going it's a very bold storytelling decision yeah and i and to be very clear i think i'm thinking of it compared to star wars because that's what we're doing right now taken independently if that's the mood i'm in cold and sterile with a touch of of emotions thrown in that's great but speaking of cold and sterile with a touch of emotions thrown in we've got a we've got our yelling spock here which i i love a good yelling spock yelling spock is a treat not a version of spock that we get to see too often so whenever i get some yelling spock i very much am like ooh, let me put this in my pocket just put your little pockets back. Yeah. Uh, coming out and going, ah, uh, uh, because they start with playing chess, uh, Kirk and Spock, and Spock gets to go irritating. Ah, uh, yes. One of your Earth emotions. It's still. Yeah. So, also, Spock certain- seems colder than he becomes, which is delightful. Yeah. In this one, it has not been established that he is half human. Um, 
he says that he has like an uncle who married an earth woman um, as a way to say that he understands humanity. And I think uh, we had it. Yeah. An ancestor. An, an ancestor. ancestor. I was like, mm. uncle, I must be. <laughs> yeah, an ancestor. My dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my uncle. Uh, <laughs> uh, asking for a friend? What's it like to be part human? <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not even It's not even me that's asking. It's like a friend that's asking. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm a little pocket spock. Oh. Mm. Um, pocket Spock. Spocken. Spocket. Spocket? Spock? Spocket. <laughs> Sorry. I love it so much. Um, Where you you look at the pocket on the outside and you're like, that's a cold looking pocket, but inside it's just like unusually turbulent. <laughs> yeah. You're like, wow, what? Got a lot of feelings in there that you're like, you don't have. <laughs> in your pocket <laughs> um okay okay there's okay. a part okay there's a part okay. where he's talking about he sets himself up in contrast to the the psychiatrist and he says i can't remember i didn't write down what it was in response to kirk saying but he said because she feels i don't all i know is logic and i was like boo and <laughs> I listen. I'm a, I got, I'm a social. I got a social work degree. <laughs> um, yeah. I it was funny because I had seen. I watched Empire Strikes Back first, and then I watched this episode, and I was like, "It's very Yoda of you, Spock." Like in that instance, I would say emotions represented as super foolish. They get us in trouble. But like by the end of it, it does feel like the point is saying that he's not necessarily correct. Um, mm -hmm. It is. It, it is particularly Doctor. I'm never gonna get your name right. Doctor Daner's, <laughs> Doctor yep. Daner's emotions and her her uh, justice and her wanting to do right and her love for the you know for the crew for the world that actually leads her to try to bring down Gary and help Kirk. So I would say ultimately it is her emotionality, her understanding of human beings that even when she's the one who she also has ESP powers that are taking her to this, this space of, you know, humans don't matter. I'm, I'm so much bigger than everyone. She still is grounded in just giving a shit about people. And so ultimately it is important. To add this juxtaposition, the resolution of this episode involves a person in a position of authority manipulating the emotions of someone close to the villain because they using them as a figurehead to try and end the main conflict where Kirk is like appealing to Dr. Daner's humanity and tries to get Gary to, you know, not exist anymore. I mean, it, it, we also cannot forget the fact that in a space that's predominantly dominated by men, she is a woman working as... I, I, I mean, I think it's always going to be relevant to think about the gender dynamics of it. You know, she's a woman working as a psychiatrist. She was presented as the the one who was both manipulated and was manipulated first by Gary 
um, yes. in that sort of predatory situation. Um, yes, yeah. uh, she has a line where she says, "Women professionals tend to overcompensate." Yeah, because he ca- he called her a walking freezer unit. Yeah, uh, which uh, boy, oh boy, do I love it whenever space terminology is just a word that is just added on whenever someone is like, "This will sound spacey." <laughs> Why, why wouldn't they just say a walking freezer? They just say freezer. Freezer unit is harder to say. That's not what I'm interested in talking about. Nope. Um, space to, terminology. Uh, they should have said space freezer. She's a walking space freezer. <laughs> yes. Uh, space lizards. To go back to our discussion at the beginning, uh, but where there, there were more hands with appropriate perspectives on the character Leia in Empire, as opposed to Dr. Daner, who's a lady professional uh, and women professionals tend to overcompensate. And then also, and I want you to asterisk this Aspen, but the Mm. running motif in Star Trek of women being dominated by fascistic men. I believe I know of at least one pretty darn big episode where a very similar arc happens to uh to a woman that is in a position of power um getting attracted to a straight up space fascist but we're not there yet we're here um do you remember kenny yes Aspen. when we were in an improv show together mm-hmm. that was literally based off of star trek the original series some fun yes. background for other people and I played a leader who was a woman, and this precise dynamic happened to me, um, where as someone as who was someone with power within the context of the show, that power was taken away from me, and it was I was it was like I was playing along with it, but it felt to me internally so bad, and it was like an interesting sort of moment of like I you know, to watch it, but then to experience it. And I was an actor in it. It's not me, but you're still kind of experiencing it, especially if it's improv. It's very much on the, in the moment. Those emotions are a little bit stronger. And uh, the best I can way to describe it is you feel, yeah, powerless. Like, regardless of how much power you have, how much you present, it doesn't even matter. Yeah, these fascistic dudes with power will take you over. Yes, Mm-mm. Yes. And the thing that Star Trek does is goes, well, the ladies are attracted to it. They're attracted to fascists. Right. Um, right. Yes. Sounds like what uh, you're saying is Star Wars is better. That's not what I'm saying at all. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway. Where <laughs> are we? Uh, talking about figureheads, talking about figureheads being manipulated. And the lovely thing about watching Star Wars this way and, and taking it within the context of its made, and Luke Skywalker is just, just a schmo until we find out that Vader's his father. And something crystallized for me at the end uh, that... <laughs> had never crystallized to me beforehand, which is Luke is not going to be the best Jedi. He's the only one that can do the job because it's his son. And so Obi-Wan and Yoda have vested interests because someone could be better at this job in terms of, you know, 
fighting prowess and Jedi skills. But the one that's going to have the most emotional impact and the biggest chance of undoing all of this is the guy's son. And so what if the Jedi trained this guy's son and sent him into the Viper's nest? And he was the one that could undo all of this with the right training because that's his son. Is this the moment where I admit my absolute hatred for Yoda? <laughs> uh, I, I received a text from you earlier this week. <laughs> and uh, pretty, pretty prominently, two very simple words, very clear words, succinct words that I think gets right to the point, uh, which was Duck Yoda. <laughs> and I was just like, man, Aspen, you're so right. So right. Doc Yoda, indeed. <laughs> I think I then wrote, uh, fuck, asterisk. <laughs> I don't remember that one. I only remember you saying Doc Yoda. Doc Yoda. And then, to be fair, I just kind of put the conversation on mute because I feel like you just said everything that you wanted to say with that. Doc Yoda. <laughs> okay. And I would like to clarify that I think... That Jedi, Yoda is a bad character, and that's what makes Star Trek better. And if you like him, you're bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Yoda is actually a good character. I think the storyline, everything you just said is good. I think it's interesting story. I think it is emotionally engaging. Uh, I think the way that Luke moves in from going from uh, Digabah and making the choices he makes is all compelling and interesting. So there's that. I just hate Yoda for mm. everything he does and believes. I just also okay. Let me just start with this. Sure. And I feel this way about Jedi. I feel this, you know, from okay. Just saying from what I can see so far, I cannot say that about Jedi. From mm. my knowledge of Jedi, I can. But he goes to Dagobah to be trained. From the beginning, he is set up for failure. Like the entire time. He he asks questions that are important, like why? Yoda says, absolutely not. We're, we're, we stick in the moment. We don't look there. We don't look to the past. We don't look to the future. But, but he has no context. So there's no honesty. He's constantly withholding information. It's like everything is Luke's fault. There's no foundation. And so he talks constantly about things like patience, but he has no patience for Luke. So, yes, from a plot perspective, from a movie perspective, absolutely love it. But, like, from perspective of me caring about people, I am so deeply annoyed. And, like, I just, I go on this for forever. Like, there's this idea of the fear. It's so funny because he says, like, you know, put aside your anger. And we really, we really stick on anger because both Vader is saying, lean into your anger because that gives you power and brings you to me. This is, I know this is kind of the binary. This is the, the divergent point. Uh, and Yoda says, try to resist your anger. But if we look at anger as an emotion that hides things, it kind of sits on top of other emotions. Like, what does it mean to even acknowledge your anger? Like, what lives under it? And often it's sadness, it's abandonment, it's confusion. And so I think that simplification of that emotion is consistent on both sides. So anger as a tool or anger as something to avoid. And I just... I find it to be truly just a situation where we're setting up this kid for failure in every single way. Uh, 
Y- yes. <laughs> and I will say, I am, I am, I am trying to think of it just in terms of these points, but I'm a little influenced by the prequels because I think that you can see the same failure in one Anakin Skywalker. Um, as it comes up in terms of philosophy of what would it actually mean to really acknowledge what it means to to fear, to, to be sad, to miss, because I have other thoughts that are about like a complete misunderstanding of like a lack of attachment, you know, like it's, it's, it's about, there's a big difference between acknowledging grief and being present in the moment and just absolutely saying feelings are not a thing and just casting them aside, which I think is what we see with Spock. That's why I was like, it's very Yoda of you because you're just, it's just like casting them off as if it's not something to really consider and sit in. So that is my soapbox. I, uh, first off, how dare you? Star Trek is better. Uh, Second, (laughs) it is also interesting to look at this in response to the original Star Wars, which we're doing. And I guess we can do it in regards to the holiday special. What a subversion uh, this is in juxtaposition to a holiday special, because this is actually an interesting movie. Um, I think I deleted the holiday special from my brain. <laughs> sure. As well, you should. As well, you should. Um, where Star Wars ultimately synthesizes itself down to a straightforward hero narrative. Uh, and the popular story is that Lucas goes, well, uh, it was always influenced by Joseph Campbell's Heroes with Thousand Faces, the Joseph Campbell monomyth. It's always, which it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. George, George Lucas likes to make stuff up just like Gene Roddenberry and kind of retroactively uh, pats themselves on the backs of being geniuses. But no, it was all made up. And also, by the time that this movie, by the time that Empire gets released, I believe that narrative of the Joseph Campbell monomyth and Star Wars being influenced by that uh, has synthesized itself. And so this movie is very much a, a really interesting epilogue if we're just taking these two pieces on their own of they've achieved the happily ever after. Now what? And if you look at the, the the information that's on the ground, that there is just a there, there is an organization with unlimited resources that has tendrils of power that are stretching far across the galaxy. One battle isn't going to solve everything. Just blowing up a big uh, sphere that goes around blowing up planets that's not going to take apart things of power the the fact that the status quo is so drastically reset within the first paragraph of this movie's opening crawl of being like hey it's a pretty bad time yeah they blew up the death star but uh you know they didn't actually win that's that's wild can you imagine watching this movie three years later and you're just like, man, I can't wait to watch the next adventures of star wars we're gonna watch more star wars it's gonna be great it turns out almost, they didn't really win. Wild. And you could feel pretty disappointed in that. It's almost like 40 years later, watching a movie and being like, oh, despite defeating the Empire, there's a First Order with a bigger Death Star. Uh, somehow Palpatine has returned. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> bleeding out of every orifice that you had. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this question, Aspen. 
Ooh. Uh, because we're, um, it's really hard to answer this question. Is this movie successful on its own terms, just as a singular piece of art, divorced of all the context, which is really hard. It's really hard for me to look at this as just a movie and not, yeah, this is part two. Well, we still have to watch part three. So this is not, it's really easy for us to look at this as, the, the, yeah, this is the, 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 the second act. And also, like, this movie seems like a purposeful subversion of the hero's journey. And asking Luke Skywalker, this is what it actually means to be the hero. The hero that we all have in our brains. The selfless hero that is willing to sacrifice everything. And that's a really hard ask. Um... And also, is this movie making that argument, or is this all extra textual stuff that has kind of been pumped into our brains? You know, it's funny because, yeah. If you, so when this movie first came out, that it's not as though the critic response was overwhelmingly positive. It was kind of split, but. I don't know if that's necessarily, and that, so I, I bring that up just because I, you know, I'm curious about what it's like at the time, right? Without all this other context, without me being a little kid who already had seen The Phantom Menace and then New Hope, and now I'm watching this movie. Um, I think though it'd be interesting to see what those negative commentaries were on. I wonder if it's because it was just different, uh, because maybe people didn't think it could stand on its own as a middle chapter. Uh, and that was just strange. Uh, I'd be curious about kind of that context and time of movies and how people might have seen them. I My, yeah. Oh, please go ahead. No, no, no. I want you to say what you're going to say. Okay. Uh, this is in relation to um, that statement that you made. Uh, cut that sentence out. Made me sound like a genius. Um, <clears throat> I listened to the newcomers podcast with Lauren Lapkus and Nicole Byer, where they were making their way through star Wars for the very first time. And they are very much people unlike us. They're just like, who's that? Oh, I guess that's Chewbacca. I don't think that they actually say that they probably know they knew stuff through cultural osmosis. Um, But they're talking about watching the empire strikes back and how the first 30 minutes of this movie just drags and how hard it was for them to watch this movie. And wow. it's it's impossible for us to make that assessment because we are so firmly ensconced in it. And also these two people who, ha- who don't have that attachment to Star Wars are just like, this is really slow. This is not I feel effective. I am never going to be as cool as Lauren and Nicole. So I guess I got to <laughs> rethink everything. that is very interesting um yeah because i I think it is kind of an impossible question my gut is this is a fabulous movie on its own merits its structure is fascinating it has it's the script is great the lines are great cinematography is incredible the sound is amazing like (laughs) You know, I'm watching like the despecialized versions and I'm like, this is absolutely phenomenal. This this movie is just gorgeous to look at. It is 
it, it is just so pretty, this lovely glow that is just all over this movie. Uh, the director yeah. of photography, of course, is Peter Sushitsky. We all know. <laughs> and we know that guy. Yeah. 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 I. You might also recognize his work from Mars Attacks. <laughs> Ever heard of it? I am surprised, but the you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Heard of it? After it Earth. Most- <laughs> heard of it? Oh, wish I hadn't. <laughs> um, interesting that a couple, at least two of those are horror horror esque films. I've got a little secret secret theory that horror filmmakers photographers whatever it looks like they're the best and can do whatever just like i think that comedians are the best dramatic actors i think it's because they know how to do so much with so little and Uh, how to frame in the most effective ways i have a similar thought where improvisers are the best actors because they can see because they're having to be writers on their feet too great improvisers and so they're able to properly compartmentalize their contribution um, I have a counterpoint, which is improvisers don't want to memorize lines. That's also correct. Yes. The improvisers are the worst actors. 10 out of 10. Sorry. Would agree. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'd love to hear what you think, but you're right. I, do th- I cannot divorce it from my reality, but I, or from my context, but dude, I think it's good. <laughs> I think this movie is quite good. Uh, hot take. Empire Strikes Back. Good movie. I, I, in comparison to the first Star Wars, I don't think it is as good i think it is really hard to divorce the cultural significance that this movie has um i don't think that it works as a self-contained piece i think it very much works as a sequel uh that oddly dimensionalizes all of these characters and wild it is just a it is just a bonkers bananas sequel just taking on its own terms, especially circa 1980 for something that was as populous as Star Wars, and then takes it in a, takes it in directions that are, I mean, very much influenced by the movements of the American, the, the, the American movie brass in the early 1970s and not that whole American new way of it. It becomes dimensionalized in a way that is really unexpected. And I don't think that you see in blockbuster filmmaking in this way again. Uh, it's I, there are so many sequels that are very much influenced by Empire Strikes Back, but what they get from Empire Strikes Back is they go, yes, darker. The next one should be darker. It should be darker. Yes, in so much as the darkness makes these characters a lot more emotionally complex. It, this would be. I, I, it's, re- it's really hard to just properly contextualize how weird this movie feels. It would be like watching Mad Max Fury Road and then making a sequel to Fury Road that isn't solely based around action and instead kind of has characters almost vibing for the first 30 minutes where Furiosa and Max are just kind of hanging out a little Into bit. Into it. Into yeah. it, make it happen, George Miller. Uh, it's it's just, it's so wild, and I appreciate the ambition on that notion alone. Um, 
and I think there are a lot of thematic statements that are very, I don't know, for, for me could be articulated just a little bit more. And also I'm not freaking Lawrence Kazdan. So what do I know? Um, mm. It's yeah, I, I like playing this exercise. It's a fun exercise. It's fun to put myself into the shoes of where this of, of where audiences might be in circa 1980 and trying to understand their consternation because uh, Return of the Jedi is very much a course correction from the reception that Empire Strikes Back uh, gets, which uh, course corrections will be a running motif in Star Wars. And also Star Wars fans not liking Star Wars will also be another running motif through our entire journey. I am of the opinion that I think this is the best Star Wars film of the three we've watched it is 100% the best Star Wars film oh um, interesting you're not the person that thinks that holiday special uh, yeah. is the best which if you are reach out to us on our social media and tell us why you think holiday special is the best we want to honor your perspective breaking that mold yeah I mean I, I think it's a typically popular opinion that Empire is best and I, I just do I think especially really watching it, really sitting with it this time, I I am a, a, a very emotionally affected by it. I love sitting in moments. I love I love that it's just not all action packed, that there is a lot of quiet to it. And I think it feels very human. And I I think it's just a really extraordinary film. I just, I just, you know, just a film that exists, not just a Star Wars film. I think it's extraordinary. I love it. And I love I think it. It's love scary. It. Thank you. I think it's scary. I think yeah, there's so much. I, there's moments of, oh, gosh, I, I feel terror. Ugh. I feel similarly about where no man has gone before, which I think is a really great <laughs> episode of Star Trek. That is, oddly enough, exploring very similar themes of being corrupted by power, our responsibility in relation to said power, uh, our emotional attachments to those that we call friends, how those can be vulnerabilities. Uh, and also just a, for, for the time, a really fabulous piece of action filmmaking that is unusually dimensional. I agree. I, I do also think it's, a you know, I, I know I got, I got a little stuck on calling it cold and clinical, but it's. It is interesting and it is dynamic. Dude, the action. dude, call Star Trek cold and clinical. I'll be the first <laughs> one to be like, Chew? yeah, it is. Come on. I'm doing it again. I'm being too nice. I'm supposed to be fighting for my <laughs> for my opinion, my Star Wars. Well, remember, I... Aspen, art exists in a binary and one only yeah. one may win. Uh, can I read my loose notes and then we can rank uh, which one is better this week? Star Trek or Star Wars? I would love to hear your loose notes. Mm-mm-mm. Uh, the turbo lift starts on one de- deck. This is for Star Trek. Uh, okay. There's the shot where I- I Gary runs into the turbo lift, otherwise known as elevators in common person parlance. The it's turbo space. lift starts on one deck, then goes to the bridge in the same shot. You can see the wall change on the outside of the door from inside the turbo lift, which is really rad. Um. I love the gooseneck monitors. Oh, there's also the gooseneck uh, speaker that Kirk uses. Yes. Uh, it's not a speaker. That's actually a screen, too. That's a screen? 
It looks like the little. It looks like the little lamp from Pixar. (laughs) Uh, I wish. Uh, Gary Mitchell Horney. Kirk was a teacher, a walking textbook with legs, not a rogue. Yeah. You'll you'll see this a lot in these beginning episodes of Star Trek. Uh, Kirk is a stickler for the rules. He loves regulations. And it changes. I mean, it feels like, it, I, in my memory, that is not what Kirk is. You do, do a little shimmy. Uh, it, <laughs> he yeah. loosens up. And also, his. it also depends on his reading of the rules. We'll talk about uh, Kirk as an extension of American imperialism uh, later. Uh, we don't we don't have oh time God. for it. These are my loose notes. Here's a loose note I wrote. Love uh, a lightning fight. <laughs> oh, you you gotta love a lightning fight. Oh gosh, you love a lightning fight. Uh, which is always why I like to go to science Ooh. museums. Um at some point, Gary goes, Didn't I say you'd better be good to me? And that always reminds me of the Tina Turner song. It better be good to me. You better be good to me. <laughs> Uh, ESP fascination in the 60s. Uh, people liked ESP in the 1960s, which is why there's ESP in Where No Man Has Gone Before. Um, pennies still exist in the future when Sulu, who is the astrophysicist of the ship at this point in time, uh, he demonstrates what exponential growth is. So you have a penny, double it, and within a month, you'd be a millionaire. So that means that money exists in the future. Kirk has regular sideburns. Can I do my notes on Star Wars? Yes, absolutely. Uh, a couple of these are, again, not just keep name dropping him, but he's a funny dude, Joel. Uh, when Who is Joel? Miss Bios, Miss Bios, my partner. Uh, when when uh, Luke is in the tank, it's the Bakta tank. Joel sang it as Bakta baby <laughs> like like tiny dancer uh, <laughs> anyway that and I'm excited. also I'm excited to hear Joel I, record that that'll be great I also wrote the Darth Vader egg egg, egg. murder through zoom and then <laughs> also Joel's like, isn't this the movie where Darth Vader just keeps killing people and everybody just gets promoted through murder? It's great. <laughs> He's correct. He's correct. You'll love to see it. You'll, <laughs> you'll, lo- you'll love to see a hashtag Sith boss. <laughs> you get it. You get it, King. You know what's so funny? I wrote this in my notes. The This is so funny. This is in direct contrast to what we were talking about. The editing, I wrote the editing leading up to the Hoth battle is fabulous. <laughs> yeah i truly it's i was delightful. like the greater short scenes are telling us exactly what we need to know there's check-ins with people who love each other so funny i thought it was great edited, edited by paul hirsch who is my facebook friend shut up so i'm pretty a big deal yeah. uh here are my star wars notes i gotta go quick uh rogue two pretty presumptive of this schmo <laughs> god you think that you're good enough after Rogue One helped deliver the Death Star plans? You're Rogue Two? Okay. <laughs> I mean, they're doing important stuff. 
there's the shot where Darth Vader goes, General Veers, and the camera pans and uh, Darth Vader turns around as well. And I really want General Veers to go, ah! because he's so surprised. Uh, Luke wants Han to like him so much she can't talk to him. It's so good. Hmm. Um, they love each other. Vader is different here. He's less of an ex- of the excited terrier to fight bad guys and more ruthless. First, first appearance of the Emperor. Yes, yes. Who is a woman with an orangutan's eyes? In oh yeah, the despecialized version. That's another note I've got here. Emperor scene is an MCU scene, but 28 years early. <laughs> uh, it, it, it has no bearing on the plot, but it's just like, hey, the next one, you'll get more answers. Um, I, um, when, when Luke goes to Dagobah and immediately finds Yoda, I was like, glad we could come to the front door of the planet. <laughs> just got there. It's fine. Uh, boy howdy I I bet other screenwriters at the time were just like man why didn't I think of the force it can always get me out of a plot situation (laughs) how do you get there the force that doesn't make sense how did he know where to blow up the Death Star the force right but how did he know where Han and Leia were the force Um, Yoda Coda oh that's it okay Uh, well, because Obi-Wan's dead, and so they needed another kind of Jedi mentor, and so just okay. go to another thing. <laughs> uh, I gotta make these notes quicker. Uh, Han's little smile after Leia gives him a smooch. Uh, Harrison Ford is cool. Billy D. Williams is cooler? Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, the Leia line, Pren- would it help if I got out and pushed? It I'm might... Sorry. Uh, um, there's smoke after the first shootout in the Cloud City Corridor that's it those are my notes beautiful Beautiful. love it uh, what are our yeah, rankings wanna rank this sh- shit oh my last one is Snick it's the only Snicks in Star Wars <laughs> oh yeah they're Snacks they're Snacks Snakes. Some little snakes. Some little snakes. Oh, snakes. snakes. <laughs> snakes. I mean, there is the dinner scene. They go there's to also dinner. snacks. But there's no snakes. There are snacks, but there snakes. are snakes. Snakes and snacks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, because Yoda eats that little sausage. Nom, nom, nom. Anyways, our rankings. Yeah. Into it. Uh, uh, where no man has gone before, I'm going to give that a seven. I was also going to give it a seven. Ooh. Yeah. For an average of seven for this week, uh, Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, my rating is also a seven. My rating is a nine. <gasps> a nine, uh, which means that the ranking for this week for uh, Star Wars is an eight, which I guess is technically more than the ranking for Where No Man Has Gone Before, because those are both sevens, and so that means that. Fuck you. Um, that's not. I don't. I, don't, I mean, it could. It could still be anyone's game. Um. So this week, Star Wars is better than Star Trek. Overall, uh, Star Trek is still besting Star Wars with a robust seven point one seven, rounding that hundredth versus Star Wars ranking of six. The holiday special really ruined things for Star Wars. 
God, I'm so mad. I'm so mad. It's, it's poor yeah. system. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Arctic is not a binary, but Star Wars does win the week. Uh, but, you know, overall, Star Trek is still better. So I think that's a great point to just kind of end the podcast. Uh, definitely not. Why are you why are you shaking your head? Oh, I was just thinking about how I hated you. <laughs> oh, you do? <laughs> should we should we should we do another episode next week? Maybe. I guess maybe I could I could hang out with you a little bit more. I could I could hang out with you a little bit more. Uh and we should uh we should talk about the naked time versus <gasps> Return of the Jedi. I really love the naked time. <laughs> also and kidding, I, I love really, you. I was kidding. I love you. I love, you. <laughs> I love you. I love chatting with you about uh our favorite things. Uh Star Wars, Star Trek, and gender politics, man. Yeah. Uh, so that's been yet another episode of the Trek Wars podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Our theme song was composed by Mr. Tosin Awufeso. Please hit us up on all of our social media. We're available wherever you can, you know, find social media. And you can also find us wherever you're listening to your podcast. Please leave us a review, especially on iTunes, as you probably heard other podcasts talk about. Uh, reviews help the ag- algorithm discover us and we would like to be discovered because we enjoy doing this uh, additionally you can support us on our patreon just go to patreon.com slash trek wars pod support us throw us a couple bucks and you can also hear us talk about things that are a little bit more timely like the star wars and star trek stuff that are coming out this week because it's a water it's a fire hose of content and it's just coming at you just all the time uh, thank you so much for listening folks we will see you next week. Bye!